This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's First Friday, December 3rd. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Francis Xavier. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. On Fridays, we remember the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friday is also the traditional day dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Once again, I want to encourage you, if you can, spend just a few moments in front of the Blessed Sacrament meditating on the passion of our Lord today. Let's uh, continue to pray for Pope Francis' trip to Cyprus and Greece. The Holy Father met with Orthodox bishops in Cyprus today, expressing the desire that the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church will continue their journey towards full unity. And this is something that we all have to continue to pray. What an incredible thing it would be if the Orthodox and the Catholics would come together after nearly a thousand years. We begin each show and each hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for the many blessings and always asking through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our power scripture from the playbook of life today is from Matthew 7, 24. Jesus the Lord says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Our Lord Jesus Christ, being a carpenter, spoke in terms of construction, saying that life is like building a house. Our lives must be founded on Christ, the rock foundation, or they will collapse under the stress of life's storms. We base our lives on Christ by listening to and obeying his words. This Advent is also like building a house, a Christmas house. Christmas is coming in just 22 days. Can you believe it? And we can build our house by forgiving, by going to confession, by praying, by fasting, by evangelizing, by serving in obedience to our Lord. We will see the Lord God, the carpenter and child Jesus, the baby of Bethlehem, form Christmas in our hearts and then in the world. Pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. We're going to uh, continue to think about the importance of uh, this Christmas season and something that really touched my heart um, was, you know, I opened up my mail the other day and of course, you know, Father Rocky uh, sends out reminders uh, to, uh, to all of our listeners of, of uh, 
the blessings that we have here during this Advent season. And one of the things that really uh, stuck uh, in my mind was his reminder to go to confession. I think if you can go to confession uh, during Advent, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I think it really sets the stage uh, for the entire Advent season. And um, I, I strongly, strongly encourage it. Uh, there's so much wisdom in uh, that encouragement by Father Rocky. And so um, I want to just pass on that little nugget of inspiration for you here this morning. Much more Morning Air to come. Uh, we'll be back uh, on the other side. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day with the issues that matter most. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Fourteen minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. We have been trying to get in touch with our good friend, Father Bob Pagliari in uh, downtown Manhattan, who usually joins us every month right about this time. Uh, he had a great story he was going to share with us, but apparently something has come up and Father is not available to join us. So I want to shift gears. I want to share with you one of my favorite interviews uh, with Father Rocky, our Relevant Radio CEO, uh, who talked to me about his his wonderful book, Marriage Insurance, 12 Rules to Live By. Listen to uh, a part of our conversation with Father Rocky. Hey, good morning, John. It's great to be with you. I'm glad I have a chance to tell our audience a little bit about this book that uh, I wrote several years ago. And in a sense, it's very similar to my book, Mary at the Crossroads of History. It, it sort of wrote itself. So I was chaplain at a, a boys' school in Chicago. I've done youth work, youth ministry for more than 30 years. And because of that, um, it's uh, not unusual that I have the joy and honor of celebrating wedding masses and I get to preach at those masses. So over time, I kind of developed um, a homily in which I would give uh, the young couple advice about how to have a successful marriage. And most of this is based on my observation of my parents I observed their wedding uh, and marriage for 40 years until they passed away. So I had you know, 40 years of studying what works and observing what works. Also, the marriages of others, relatives, friends, people I know in Opus Dei and such. And I realized there are certain factors which really um, can predict a strong and faithful and happy marriage. And there's also risk factors that can uh, tear it apart. And the reason, John, this is so important is because um, as the church goes, so goes the family. And as the family goes, so goes society. So if the stability of marriage breaks down, it leads to all sorts of problems and uh, evils in terms of mental health and physical health and poverty and violence and unemployment and all the rest, all the studies are in, right? So marriage, and when it's stable and healthy, it, it creates a happier, more productive society. So you know how insurance policies work. If you have something that's very valuable to you, like your house or your life or your car, um, you don't want to risk losing it, but there's always some risk out there. And in case you lose it, you want to have an insurance package so it can help you recover your house or the income that your spouse might lose if you pass away, that's life insurance, or your car, 
right? And if you buy a car, uh, the more valuable it is, the more you have to pay for insurance. Also, the person who drives a car might have certain risk factors. Usually, if you're young and male and you buy a brand new sports car, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for insurance because you're in a risky category. Whereas if you're older and more settled, you won't have to pay as much. So that's how it works. And I tell people, um, the day you get married, if you pay me $1,000 for marriage insurance, if you ever um, break up, I'll pay you a million dollars back, but you have to follow these 12 rules. How about that? I, I love it. And F F Father Rocky, you know, you were alluding to all the different weddings that you've had over the years with many different couples, and I could never forget uh, your homily from the pulpit of St. Mary, the Angels uh, Church here in Chicago on our wedding day, uh, Cindy and myself, when you talked about this marriage insurance. And it, that was early on. You only had four rules to live by at that time. Eventually, right. it would grow to 12 rules. Uh, the inspiration for this book, um, it, it, it was something that developed over the years. I know you, your parents had a lot to do with it. Right. You know, and, and I, I listen to people because I've, I've given that homily a number of times. Uh, a friends of mine, um, they once said, you know, Father, you're missing a rule. There's another rule in your book, and that is the spouses should go to bed at the same time. And now I haven't been married, so I, I didn't immediately understand that. He said, that's when you talk. You both go to bed at the same time. And the couples that I know who are most mar happily married, they they sort of live on the same schedule. You know, they, they get up at the same time. They go to bed at the same time. They're always together. They're working as a team. They're helping each other. And almost all the rules of my book, John, lead to one thing, and that is communication and being together. Because if you're not together, your heart will find something else to occupy it. It could be things. It could be consumerism. It could be addictive behaviors. It could be another person, right? Because the heart is hungry for love. And if we don't give our heart the love of the spouse, it's going to find something else to love. It can love itself. It can love work. It can love success. It can love all sorts of other pursuits. So, a lot of these things are, are there. So um, some of the things that I've observed, and I've studied the reports on this, uh, the first two rules are um, try to choose somebody who has very similar values. Right. So this means that um, you, you have to be deliberate in your choice of a spouse. It can't just be based on um, the emotional attraction or the infatuation, like love at first sight. Although that you know, if, if you're not attracted to a person, that's not going to work either. But you've got to be attracted to a person. But we also have to have those serious conversations about what are the values we share in common. So I tell people, if you're a serious practicing Catholic, you should find another serious practicing Catholic to marry. If you're, let's say, a lukewarm Catholic, um, probably best to find another lukewarm Catholic. If you're Muslim, find a Muslim. If you're Jewish, find a Jewish person. You, you know, and then talk about what are these very important values for you. A second um, rule to live by is don't live together. Don't cohabitate before marriage because that is a high-risk factor. Um, a lot of folks aren't listening to that rule these days, Father. No, no, it's very common um, that people live together and they think, well, I've got to practice this. Um, but all the studies are in. There's a high correlation between cohabitation and uh, subsequent divorce. Now, the other challenge that happens today, John, is people simply don't get married. 
right? So they say the divorce rate is going down. Um, that's true to a certain extent. You have to understand that. And that is the marriage rate is going down. So if you don't have marriages, you're, you're not going to have divorces, right? But uh, the cohabitation, why is that? Well, because um, if you cohabitate, um, you don't have to communicate as much and you don't have to uh, sacrifice as much, right? So no commitment. Um, marriage There's is all no about commitment. sacrifice. There's no commitment, right? There's no commitment. So oh, this is huge. And fathers and mothers have a special duty uh, in this regard, you know, to um, drill this into their children from a young age. Now, you, whoever you might are right now, you might be listening, you might be shocked that I use that word, uh, drill this into your children. But it's exactly what God says to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. I'm aware you can translate it in different ways, but I like uh, the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition um, translation of the uh, uh, Septuagint Greek Old Testament. Drill the commandments into your children from a young age. What the, are the expectations? And that's why I think people should start reading this book from a young age, 14, 15 years old. As soon as boys are attracted to girls and girls are attracted to boys and they want to date, they have to understand well, what dating is. It's courtship for a lifelong commitment. It isn't just... Um, playing around and uh, and amusing myself, which many times we tend to think that was. And, and I remember in high school, I asked a priest, you know, some very pointed questions about relationships, and it really stopped me in my tracks thinking, okay, what what's the point of this relationship? Where is it going? Where is it heading? So we have to be deliberate there. Then a third rule I give there is to follow the church's teaching on sexual morality. Avoid using artificial contraception. That's for a variety of reasons, but a very convincing reason is if the couple is using artificial contraception to avoid children. And there may be a reason that's prudent to avoid children uh, for the moment, um, a serious reason, but they don't have to communicate. And they depend on technology or chemistry uh, to do their working for them instead of working together, right? So those are three of the, the rules, and, and sometimes people don't like to hear those. I know that. I know that sometimes in Catholic marriage classes, uh, people don't want to use the book because I'm so straightforward there, but I, I always felt I have the duty to tell the truth, and I would tell this always every year uh, to the seniors in my religion class at Northridge Prep because once they left the school, they're on their own. I said, I want you to hear this before you go out there. And... Um, and to know know what you're getting into. And then we move on to things which I think are, are more pleasant. All right. So one of those is once you're married, you don't stop courting each other. You don't stop dating. And so go out on a weekly date. I saw that with my parents as a kid. Every Saturday night they dress up and they'd go out to dinner. And the last words they'd say before they left to the kids was, we're going to be back in three hours. Don't burn the house down. And I'm thinking, man, you can do a lot and not burn the house down. So those are some of the ideas, but I'm glad I can share it this morning with your audience. Great ideas by our very own Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio, Marriage Insurance, 12 Rules to Live By. We're going to shift gears. We need to take a break. When Morning Air continues, Dr. Paul Carson will be with us to talk about the new Omicron variant, and we'll also take your calls. Stay with us. There's much more conversation straight ahead here on Morning Air. 
Bringing the light of Christ to start your day with the issues that matter most. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 28 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, New York City confirmed five cases of the Omicron coronavirus variant yesterday, the fourth state to confirm the Omicron variant in the U.S. This came after three prior cases in Colorado, California, and Minnesota. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the White House chief medical advisor, made the first announcement. California and San Francisco Departments of Public Health and the CDC have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms which are improving at this point. And now joining us is Dr. Paul Carson to talk about the latest on the new coronavirus Omicron variant, uh, first identified in South Africa. Dr. Carson is a physician specializing in infectious diseases. He's a professor in the Department of Public Health at North Dakota State University, where he teaches and conducts research on the management of infectious diseases in public health and is also the director of the Center of Immunization Research and Education. Good morning, Dr. Carson. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Good morning. Great to be back with you again. Dr. Carson, first of all, a um, lot of questions uh, about this uh, Omicron variant uh, by so many people. Uh, I'm sure there's many listeners that are wondering uh, what exactly is it and, and what have we learned here in these first few days? Sure. So, uh, you know, information's kind of coming in uh, fast, uh, but we still uh, don't know a lot. Um, <clears throat> this is a new variant, <clears throat> not unexpected because the virus does mutate and um, does change and uh, acquires these changes over time. Um, but what was striking about Omicron is the number of mutations. It's got, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 mutations, a little over 30 of which are in the spike protein, the sort of operative part of the virus. And so there's concern with that number of mutations that it might be able to evade immunity from either prior infection or vaccination. How uh, can the Omicron variant be detected or distinguished from uh, all the other variants? So um, usually the way that we detect uh, variants is through um, what we call, you know, surveillance, genetic surveillance testing, which is taking random samples at uh, various sites and doing whole sequencing of the virus. That, that's labor intensive. We don't get, um, you know, most of the samples out there uh, are not tested for this. But, but the Omicron variant does have uh, a, a unique aspect to it that allows us to actually kind of get a quick and dirty way of detecting it. Um, because of the number of changes in that spike protein, um, one of the targets for one of our main ways of testing, you know, we test with this PCR testing, polymerase chain react, reaction testing, um, looks for three targets, and because of the spike protein changing so much, one of those targets, the S gene target, tends to drop out. So you still have a positive test with the other two targets, but you miss that um, S gene target, and that's, that's kind of a quick signal of uh, um, 
this Omicron variant popping up. So pretty much any of our state health laboratories are able to do that right away, and then they can do further testing to identify, is it definitively that Omicron variant? And I think we're up to five states now where it's been detected um, with, uh, I think, nine cases so far reported in the U.S., but we can be sure there's a lot more than that out there already. No question. Uh, It's been identified in well over 20 countries. Uh, It'd be pretty uh, safe to assume uh, that uh, it's it's in many, many more places and we'll, we'll, we'll see it in many more states here in the upcoming uh, days. I think that's uh, correct. Why are, are scientists so worried about this uh, variation uh, when even the South African doctor who discovered it says that it produced mild symptoms, uh, especially on, on young people? Right. So I, I think um, I think the concern is that at least in the test tube, we actually don't have this test tube data yet, but in the test tube with prior variants with similar mutations, not, not even as many as this, we see a, a, sig- a significant drop-off in um, uh, people who have been vaccinated or people who have been previously infected, their antibodies' ability to neutralize that virus. So I think people are appropriately concerned that the prediction would be um, that, that our immunity might not be as good against this for neutralizing the virus. Now, the Dr. Coetzee, who came out and kind of said, you know, the initial um, infections, you know, and, and her perception were mild, um, uh, I, I think that's encouraging. But we have to remember South Africa is a much younger country. So, I mean, this was mainly in young people that they were talking about. We do see already um, in Gauteng province, which includes Johannesburg, a significant uptick in cases. They, they've been, they've got just recently gone through a big wave of Delta. They were way on the downside of that. Things were quieting way down in October uh, and early November, and now they are seeing a significant uptick in cases and in hospitalizations. What we don't know is, um, and we're anxiously waiting to see, is uh, if the, that increase in hospitalizations includes people who have been vaccinated uh, or people who have had prior infection, and we just don't know that yet. I do take some encouragement uh, from the, the small number or handful of cases that have been reported in the United States so far where we have some details and a couple of cases that were reported out of Israel of people who had been triple vaccinated. Uh, so they, they'd had, you know, two shots and the booster um, who did get a breakthrough infection. So a little concern there that they got a breakthrough even even through three vaccines. But all of those were reported to be very mild symptoms uh, fading away within two, three days. So I take a little bit of encouragement from that. But I think it's still too early to say. President Biden is uh, requiring uh, testing uh, 24 hours before international flights uh, beginning this coming Monday. Uh, Do you think our U.S. government and and perhaps other countries are overreacting at this point uh, to Omicron? Um, I don't think they're overreacting yet because we just don't know enough here yet. You know, if we were to discover here, in a couple of weeks that, yes, indeed, it does evade our immune system fairly well and um, uh, leads to more serious illness or, or, or death, then that will have turned out to be a very wise decision. So I, I think it's reasonable to be more on the cautious side until we get that increased information, which I do think will come in the next couple of weeks.
Dr. Carson, obviously uh, the talk has been in recent days, uh, Omicron, but uh, we still have to deal with the Delta variant. Uh, Delta variant obviously uh, is is still in play. Uh, I understand there was a reported 130,000 cases uh, just in the last uh, 24 hours, which is obviously a lot, lot more than just the few cases that we're seeing with Omicron. Is there a concern that we're taking our eyes off the, the main uh, concern of, of the Delta variant and, and starting to put too much emphasis on Omicron. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's a, you make a very important point. We are being slammed by Delta right here and now, um, you know, in my neighbor state in Minnesota here, you know, they're having to call in um, extra help for uh, nurses and other medical professionals to try and handle the increased load of overtaxed hospitals um, that are being markedly strained. And I have to emphasize uh, again here, this, at least what we see still in the hospitals, and, and, and my home state here in North Dakota, hospitals are full, we're having to divert patients, we're having to house patients in the ER uh, um, again. Um, and, you know, our hospitals normally run on a razor-thin margins, so it doesn't take much to put them into, into a very stretched or strained capacity. Um, the vast majority of those patients that are in the hospital with COVID or in our ICU with COVID are unvaccinated. Vaccine still um, it works quite well against Delta in preventing hospitalization, severe illness, and death. And so um, we, we just are strongly urging people, if, you, if you're still on the fence about getting vaccinated, please get that done. And, and I am encouraging everyone I know and all my patients um, to, to get the booster. I think the booster uh, has helped. We have data out of Israel now that the booster has really restored um, vaccine efficacy against any infection, not just severe disease, but any infection up into that 90, 95% range. I want to invite our listeners, if you have any questions, a specific question uh, for Dr. Carson uh, about COVID, uh, the Omicron variant, or, or the vaccines, you can give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Yeah, Dr. Carson, one of the things that um, I can't help but think is as you're uh, talking about uh, people getting triple vaccinations, why so many breakthrough cases? Why have we seen so many? So I think it's really important to understand that actually mo most of the vaccines we take are usually part of a multi-dose series. Um, <clears throat> you know, our tetanus, pertussis, um, uh, and diphtheria vaccines are five doses over the course of childhood. Um, you know, measles, mumps, rubella are two doses. Uh, hepatitis is uh, uh, two to sometimes three doses. Um, so it frequently requires um, several little you know, charges uh, on the immune system to kind of get a full immune response. And I think if we really would have had the chance to kind of do this, the studies over again, we, we would have had that longer-term data that showed drop-off in vaccine efficacy over time. And, and I think this would have been a three-dose series. And I, that's the way I look at it. I mean, it's not technically that way because it wasn't studied that way. But in, for all intents and purposes, I, I think this should be a three-dose series. There are countries now that are doing that. And, for example, in Israel, I look at them a lot because they're ahead of us a few months on these things. Um, it's a three-dose series now. They, they, they do not consider you fully immunized unless you have three doses. We're not doing that in the U.S. I think there's, I think there's um, that's understandable as well because the two doses do seem to protect well against serious illness, which is what we're most concerned about. But, but if we really want to drop that, you know, spread and, and transmission, um, the three doses help. And I would point out that 
um, the people who are who are most at risk, the, the elderly, the immunosuppressed, people with lots of chronic medical conditions, they are getting breakthrough infections that do sometimes lead to more serious illness, hospitalization, and death. So for those people, for sure, I, I highly encourage uh, a booster dose. What about uh, folks uh, who have had COVID previously and they're still on the fence? They're still not sure if they should uh, uh, go forward and get the vaccine. Uh, has uh, the thinking changed at all uh, in recent weeks uh, about uh, natural yeah. immunity? Yeah, we've got we've got more and more information, uh, you know, that's come in on that. <clears throat> and um, I um, so. What's been shown from multiple studies now is that the people who are who, who are the best off of all, the people who have what I kind of call golden elite immune status, are people who have had a prior infection and get at least one dose of the vaccine. They, they actually, you can show they have the highest level of antibodies. They have antibodies that neutralize every variant we've kind of ever looked at in the test tube. I think they're going to be the people who are most likely to be able to fend off quite well the uh, Omicron uh, variant. Um, but what we're seeing now from a number of different studies that both immunity from prior infection and immunity from vaccination both wane over time. You can get a uh, breakthrough infection from vaccine. You can get a reinfection um, even if you've had a prior infection. They're, they're about equivalent. <clears throat> And um, getting a dose of the vaccine for a prior infection kind of puts you up in, in, in very good protected status. Cuts your risk of reinfection in half compared to if you just kind of rely on that prior infection immunity alone. Dr. Carson, you mentioned uh, 50 mutations of, uh, of uh, COVID. Uh, with, with all of these uh, mutations, uh, can we expect uh, to see even more mutations? Isn't this sort of the way that uh, um, viruses uh, mutate over time? It is. I mean, some do this much uh, more than others. It's sort of uh, what I kind of say, are they sloppy reproducers or replicators, or do they have great fidelity in their ability to reproduce? This is an RNA virus, and they tend to be kind of sloppy. That's kind of like influenza, too. But, but bear in mind, <clears throat> mutations, for the most part, don't help uh, uh, viruses. So, you know, mutations, um, these happen all the time, and most of them are not advantageous. So, you know, a virus can't, um, there is a limit to how, how much more transmissible it can get, and there's going to be a limit to how much more, uh, you know, lethal it can get. So many of these mutations may not give it an advantage um, for either transmissibility or, you know, causing more serious disease. We need to kind of see. But I, I don't think this means there's an inevitable, never-ending stream of mutations that's going to make this thing, um, you know, escape or make it more dangerous over time. Um, it's interesting, too, there, there's speculation. There's no proof on this, but there's speculation as to why did this come out of South Africa. We do know, I mean, South Africa has a huge amount of uh, HIV infection there, a lot of it untreated, and there's been interesting studies that show people who are very immunosuppressed um, tend to carry a lot more virus when they get infected with COVID, and they tend to shed it a lot longer, and they tend to make a lot of mutations over time. So there's, there's been some speculation that this may have arisen out of that kind of milieu, and it, it gives reason why we need to be, you know, we also need to be as good Catholics and good Christians concerned about all of our brothers and sisters around the world in helping, um, helping them, you know, treat those diseases and helping them get vaccines. So uh, because, it, you know, we all end up being connected to everyone. 
We have time for a call. Kimberly is joining us this morning from Maine. Kimberly, uh, welcome to Morning Air. Uh, what, what is your question for uh, Dr. Paul Carson? Good morning, Dr. Carson. I am part of a Christian group. Um, it's called Informed Christians. And they are really telling us not to get vaccinated. And I want to know why, why Christian doctors on one side are saying one thing and another doctor is saying something else because I'm sitting on the fence. I have some very uh, sick niece and nephew that are terminally ill, and I feel like I should get it if I'm around them, but I don't know if I should get it because these other doctors are saying something completely different. So uh, it's giving me more stress than I need. So I just need to know. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate that question, and I and I feel for you on that because I, I hear this a lot, even from my own family and friends. Well, you know, Paul, you wear a white coat. This other person, you know, wears a white coat. Who am I supposed to believe? So I think there's a couple things that can help you think through that. One is is that doctors who are saying not to get the vaccine are, are really outliers right now. Before before there were any vaccine mandates, 96% of physicians took the vaccine before any mandates were rolling out, even in even in health systems. So the overwhelming majority of doctors. Um, voluntarily took the vaccine early uh, when the vaccine was made available. <clears throat> the Catholic Medical Association, National Catholic uh, uh, Center for Bioethics, um, the, the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops have all said Catholics can receive any of the vaccines in good conscience, um, <clears throat> uh, and that uh, Pope Francis has said, along with a number of cardinals and bishops in a, in a, um, at Council A, put out that, that we, we should take the vaccine as a matter of Christian charity to not only protect ourselves, to protect those around us and loved ones. I highly encourage the vaccination. Really appreciate uh, your perspective and uh, that question, uh, Kimberly. A lot of folks feeling uh, the same way. Uh, Dr. Carson, uh, we have about 30 seconds, uh, a final thought. You know, um, I, this, is, this is getting a little philosophic here, but I do think this is ultimately all in God's hands. And, I, you know, I, all this anxiety that we feel about these things, um, we can still trust God's in charge. I, I'm you know, in my area, in sort of research and science, very excited about what science has done for us, and that's a gift from God. And, and we should, uh, I think, welcome and thank uh, God for these gifts that he's given us in, in treatments and vaccines and medical care. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that, that perspective. We put it in the hands of divine providence. Uh, ultimately, the Lord is in charge. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Paul Carson, for, for being with us. Great to be with you. Thanks. Dr. Paul Carson, a professor of infectious diseases in the Department of Public Health at North Dakota State University. We need to take a break. We'll be back with much more. Today's program is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center. More information about their Catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradio.com slash stgregory. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead 
to this Sunday's gospel. Always keep in mind that the word of God in the gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ is powerful. When the gospel, the book eternal is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, the newly installed bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our gospel reading for the second Sunday of Advent comes out of Luke chapter 3. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Vitoria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the desert. John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And now time to take a deeper look at that gospel out of Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 for the second Sunday of Advent. We're joined by Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Rio. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. Great to be here, Glenn. Well, as we kind of get into the thick of it here, welcoming our Lord in a few short weeks, preparing the way, John the Baptist, and we hear of his call today. Yes, we will um, hear about the ministry of John the Baptist in each of our three liturgical years during the season of Advent, and John the Baptist, as well as the Blessed Mother, appear as some of the primary Advent images to help guide us in our own preparation to meet the Lord. In this passage, uh, Luke, our Gospel writer, really sets up exactly who is in charge and exactly when. Does that speak to how important it is that Christ came at just the right time? Well, it speaks to a number of factors. Uh, First of all, as you mentioned, yes, it is a clear demonstration. You know that the arrival of Jesus in history is part of God's great, perfect, and loving unfolding of his will. Um, And yet it also tells us that the ministry of John the Baptist that really was taking place in one of the most remote corners of the world in the Judean desert, the ministry of John the Baptist, even though it's happening, in the middle of this out-of-the-way place is going to have ramifications that will affect the greatest powers of that time, the powers in Jerusalem and even the powers in Rome. And so that's beginning to tell us that although the gospel has very small beginnings like a mustard seed, the gospel can have phenomenal impact in every realm of our reality. Is that another way that uh, God has constructed this so that we would believe this wasn't just a fantastic story about people in charge making changes, but things began in such a small, simple way? Things began in a simple way through the cooperation of faithful people, but by God's grace, those very simple beginnings um, bore an incredible harvest. And we see that in the life of today and in the last 2,000 years of uh, Christian life, faith, spirituality, charity, and discipleship. Bishop Muggenberg, we do a lot of preparation for our Christmas celebrations, the decorating, the shopping, the baking, and all of that. How does this gospel speak to the importance of preparing people to receive Christ? Well, the gospel speaks to us about the importance of practical preparation in a real sense. You know, when John prepared the people to meet the Lord, he went to the desert. 
And um, in taking the people to the desert, the people of John's time would have very clearly identified that uh, in terms of the experience of the Exodus, where the people were led through the desert by Moses, and they were formed to become an obedient, trusting people of God, a people who would in enter into covenant relationship with God. And so John's wanting to prepare a new people for that, that new promised land, uh, and that new people, of course, will become the church. Now, John's preparation is not just a preparation of spiritual interior uh, prayer. John specifically is preparing the people through repentance. And repentance is not only a change of mind, but it's also a change of life that comes along with that. And that's why John focuses on the importance of practical actions, like leveling the mountains, those obstacles of pride, and filling in the valleys uh, that are blocking our way and blocking our access to the Lord. We associate repentance with the message of John the Baptist. We don't hear maybe as much about repentance today as we might have in times past. Uh, talk about how important that is and the need to prepare the way. Well, the Gospel of Luke is actually the Gospel of Repentance. Luke will speak more about repentance, um, especially from the lips of Jesus himself, than any other Gospel writer. And for Luke, repentance is a beautiful gift from God. It is the grace of discipleship. Repentance is not only a change of mind, that's what the word actually means, to change our mind. The Greek term metanoia means that. But it really also then means to take the concrete steps in our lives to conform our life fully to Christ. And that's an ongoing process that we're never done with until we become fully Christ-like. Now, that's a beautiful process. Unfortunately, today, many of us misunderstand repentance, and we think of it more as penance rather than conformity uh, to Christ. The great joy that would be there, ultimately, is that something we need to keep in mind when we think about the hard work of repentance and something as disciples we need to teach others to anticipate that joy that will come with repentance? Very true. John was full of joy. You know, whenever we hear him preaching um, hellfire and brimstone, we need to remember that John was doing that because he was so joyful at the coming of the Messiah. And John wanted a people to be able to meet the Lord, people who could recognize Jesus's presence when they saw it, people who could respond to Jesus's presence with lives conformed uh, to his teaching. And so John was full of joy, wanting people to experience this tremendous grace of God. And, uh, and that joy, is what filled him, it's what motivated his ministry, and I'm sure it's what attracted people to John as well. God's people throughout Scripture did a lot of time in the desert preparing. Sometimes they had to work harder to learn their lessons than other times, but uh, what are, the, what are the, the similarities between all of those occasions? Well, by the way, that observation certainly applies to our lives as well. You know, um, oftentimes we learn more through our experiences of failure than through our experiences of success. Um, but that beauty of God's grace is that God always gives us a second and a third opportunity. Um, if we turn to him and we seek his mercy and we recommit ourselves to being a person of faith, the Lord is willing to work with us in our weakness. So John really uh, wanted people to understand that regardless of what their past was, that they always had a future that is full of grace and promise, um, as long as they say yes to the presence of God and they respond to it authentically and fully. A good look at the work of John the Baptist and the second Sunday reading for Advent here with Bishop Daniel Mungenberg. Bishop Mungenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up this week with your blessing. The Lord be with you. 
And may the blessing of Almighty God, who desires to for us to give our lives completely to him, descend upon us and remain with us forever, especially in these four weeks of Advent. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Blanket. It's from Charlene Spear. In 1965, Charles Schultz, a devout Christian and creator of the Peanuts comic strip, was asked to create a Christmas special for CBS featuring the Peanuts characters. He agreed with one requirement, that they allow him to include the story of the birth of Jesus. Although the station's executives were hesitant and tried to convince him otherwise, Schultz was insistent. As a result, for the past 50-plus years, millions of people have watched at a Charlie Brown Christmas heard the story of Jesus and what Christmas is all about. It wasn't until a few years back I realized a hidden message in the film. Linus, the child who seems to have some insecurities as he carries a security blanket with him at all times, in fact, never drops his blanket. Except once, while sharing the message of what Christmas is all about, Linus drops his blanket at the exact moment he says the words, Fear not. In this seemingly innocent moment, Linus delivers a powerful reminder of the true meaning of Christmas. We are to fear not, for Jesus is born. We needn't rely on material things for security. We have God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the true meaning of Christmas. Now, a while back, someone informed me, indignantly so, that Linus picks up his blanket at the end of the speech, and so my interpretation must be wrong. Well, he was right. Linus does pick up his blanket at the end of the speech. However, he does drop it again later. Amid big, bright, colorful, shiny, artificial trees, Charlie Brown chose the least of these, a little wooden tree with a few branches. Shortly thereafter, Linus uses his blanket to wrap about the base of the tree and says, maybe it just needs a little love. In that moment, the tree awakens, stands tall and firm, a reminder that no matter who we are, no matter how many mistakes we've made, a little love can make all the difference. So let's strive to fear not, and love one another, not just at Christmas time, but the whole year through. From John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment. Love one another, as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. Absolutely love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Can't wait to see it again. Coming up next hour on Morning Air, Catholic attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will be with us to give us her take on the historic Dobbs case at the Supreme Court this past week. And pediatric psychologist Dr. Jim Schrader will join us to discuss another life lesson. There's much more to come here on Morning Air. Stay with us.